Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast, hosted by Georgia Organics. On today's show, we're continuing to explore the theme of Georgia Organics' year-end campaign, Stay Local. You can find out more about the Stay Local campaign at georgiaorganics.org slash staylocal, where you can become a member, donate to support our program work, or use the Good Food Guide to shop from farmers near you. On today's show, we're going to be talking to Monica Ponce and Russell Hondard, currently farming at Lava's Love Farm at Gaia Gardens. We talked to Russell and Monica about their respective backgrounds in farming and the project they're working on now to establish a farming cooperative model. After that, we talked to Ronnie Mathis, who shares both his gardening with farmers tips for summer blueberries in the wintertime, and also we talked to him about being a fifth-generation Georgia farmer and his decades spent farming naturally and organically in Northeast Georgia. We hope you enjoy. First up, we're talking to Georgia Organics board member Monica Ponce, as well as Russell Hondard, about their work establishing a cooperative farming model in Georgia. We cover their background in food, farming as a couple, and their current work at Love is Love Farm at Gaia Gardens. Yeah, um, I started farming in 2012 here in Atlanta. Um, mostly, you know, working on like urban plots, you know, community gardens, urban farms. Um, I was also going to Gwinnett Tech for horticulture. Um, so juggling a lot of things and a lot of projects. And then after a while, I started branching out more towards the country. Um, I started working with a friend in, on Summerland, which is the Star Provisions Farm, and then um, went back home. I grew up in Carrollton, so I went back home to Carrollton for a season and worked on a certified naturally grown livestock farm and managed the vegetable CSA there. Um, eventually found my way to Rogers Greens and Roots as their assistant manager for a year. And that's about the time Russell and I were getting pretty serious and decided to take a stab at farming together and took a farm position um, down on Cumberland Island at the Greyfield Inn to manage um, the culinary garden. And yeah, we worked there for about two years. Yeah, I mean, I um, I also started farming in 2012, uh, however, I was up in Michigan at the time. Um, I was up there for three years or so, and then I moved back to Atlanta, which is where I'm from, where I grew up, uh, and started working at King of Crops, um, which is the time when I met Monica, and after um, being together for a little while, we decided that... Um, we wanted to try farming together as well as living together, <laughs> and uh, um, and so we decided uh, um, taking a job together down on Cumberland Island was a good way to to test those waters. Um, so we spent two years down there, and now we're hoping or looking for land to start our our farm, forever farm, our forever farm um, together with each other and a couple other uh, farm partners as well. I mean, overall, it was good. We, it definitely felt like, um, like a farmer vacation, <laughs> just like, you know, um, there's being like our market was inherited with the position, you know, or that's how, like, I kind of looked at it. Like our, the food that we were growing was for the inn, 
And so we didn't have to worry about going to farmer's markets on Saturdays. We didn't have to worry about packing up at 4 a.m. and driving or like how to, you know, handle a bumper crop or a loss or whatever, you know, the end just kind of like, you know, would use what we have or the staff would use what we have. And if we had crop failure, like everyone understood. And so in a way, like a lot of those pressures were kind of relieved and, yeah. and then you just, I mean, you're on Cumberland Island, oh, <laughs> gorgeous. but yeah, the, it, there were some, you know, challenges too. like internet was very limited. Getting off the Island was difficult and like being so far away from our friends and family, you know, that those are also things that we had to learn how to navigate, you know, and how to, how to navigate that as a couple, you know? Yeah. Um, we um, are back in Atlanta. We moved back in May, um, kind of during the middle or I guess early middle of the pandemic, because um, for over a year, we've been planning with uh, Demetrius Milling, um, Judith Winfrey and Joe Reynolds, all of Love is Love, um, to partner up and form a worker, worker-owned cooperative farm. Um, so yeah, based, based on our plans pre-pandemic, <laughs> We were hoping to move on to like a new farm space um, where it, it would all be like a big transition, right? So some of us would be out at the new site trying to build infrastructure and scale up and and whatnot. Um, yeah, basically just building a, a collaboration um, to grow more food and to have more farmer equity, um, which is something that has been really important to us during our farm journey. Um, but yeah, with the pandemic, I don't know, things have just gotten a little, a little pushback. Um, you know, just progress is still happening. Think, you know, we're still working towards this project. Um, and I'm hopeful that we will be on or have a contract for some land by the end of the year. But yeah, the pandemic just kind of, I don't know, just threw a wrench in it. I mean, it, it really had kind of two different effects for us. One is that the nonprofit that we are working with that's hoping that's going to help us purchase land, um, they were finishing up a capital campaign when the pandemic hit. And so um, donations that they were expecting didn't come in. And so they had to kind of adjust their plan. Um, and then the other side was uh, was a little bit different in that we had initially lined up a, a, a turnkey operation to purchase, um, like an operating farm um, that had a, um, a really great farmer who, who uh, was thinking about retiring. Um, and with the pandemic, the other thing that happened was demand for local produce increased, especially folks who were um, selling direct to customers. Um, and so uh, the farmer's business took off and, um, you know, I think he realized that um, it had changed, his markets had changed in a way that made his life easier. <laughs> um, he, he had more demand right out on his farm. Um, he was able to sell more produce with less effort than ever before. Um, and so he kind of lost interest in, in retirement. <laughs> and so um, we were kind of, you know, we were, um, I think, you know, I, I, the uh, it was 
those two factors meant that we ended up missing out on what we had originally kind of the original time frame and the original property we had been looking forward to, um, which is why it's been pushed back and delayed, but it's still moving forward. We're just, <laughs> we just had to figure out some, some ways to bide our time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like land access, it has been a, a big issue for, young and beginning farmers. Um, I mean, I know in my own experience, like I've wanted my own farm for so long and it's just like, oh, like with student loans, the cost of living, everything, it's just so hard to save money. The cost of land is so high, especially with all the development, you know, around Atlanta or, you know, even like an hour outside of Atlanta, like land prices are, it's just, it's hard to save money for all of that on a farmer's wage when you're working, you know, for someone else. And I mean, I also hear people like, oh, I have, or like, you know, farmers that are ready to retire, but like their children don't want to have anything to do with farming and don't want to continue the farm. So the farmer wants to sell it, but, you know, so it's like either you're lucky that you get to inherit the land, or maybe you're lucky that you find that perfect lease agreement that's mutually beneficial with the landowner and the and the farmer you know that wants to lease the land which does happen but I also you know sometimes I hear some horror stories about lease arrangements too and I don't know I think I think it's a big a big piece a big issue um, for future farmers and for young and beginning and starting farmers also um, the National Young Farmers Coalition has been doing a lot of work around this too and they are coming out with a land report, or I'm sorry, yeah, a report on land access um, pretty soon. And they have a lot of resources too, to like help young farmers, um, beginning farmers navigate um, these land access hurdles. And that's, oh, so, yeah, just like what it excites me so much about like the cooperative model, you know, it makes, it makes this affordable for me and makes it affordable for my friends like we can all invest in like a common piece of land you know and and sure it takes like a lot of communication and a lot of meetings but like I I think that just makes it so much more valuable you know like going through that process and and having it equitable for everyone having it accessible um to to even like be involved <laughs> you know well, um, I'll say, well, per personally, um, my desire to be part of a workers co-op came from working for other people, managing other people's farms. Um, and it gave me two realizations. One was that oftentimes owners expect you to work harder for them than they work for themselves. Um, and they and they expect you know they expect you to um they expect you to make them money like making them money as a favor to you is sometimes how that relationship feels um and then be, being on that end of the relationship um and having farm employees or being a farm employee myself i've felt the same way where um, I think a lot of times in the local food movement and on, not the local food movement, but in 
on small farms, there's a lot of economic financial pressures and um, we use that as an excuse to justify the exploitation of our own workers in the form of like internships, whether they're barely paid or unpaid um, or treating employees as contract workers, even when they should be employees. Um, and, you know, some of that stuff is uh, federally or state sanction, you know, like farm workers don't get paid overtime. Um, but all of that stuff essentially adds up to some level and layers of exploitation that I <clears throat> didn't want to be complicit in when I was um, being exploited and don't want to be complicit in uh, as an owner. Um, and so worker, a worker cooperative is a way to avoid that kind of endemic or the, the it avoids the structure that creates those relationships um, and, and hopefully creates or the ideally creates a more equitable um, arrangement for everyone involved in actually growing food and producing value. Um, I mean, on a bigger scope, I mean, there are, I'll have to like go back and look at my notes, but there, um, well, there's a, a few folks who we've really relied on who've been really helpful for us as we put together our workers cooperative. Um, and then there's also a few examples as well here in Georgia. Um, the West Georgia's Farmers Cooperative is one. Um, I believe they're a, a marketing cooperative though. Um, and then Mid-Georgia Farmers Cooperative is another marketing cooperative that's uh, relatively new. The West Georgia Farmers Cooperative has been around for a long time. And then there is also like the Southwest Atlanta Cooperative. Yeah, Swag Southwest mm -hmm. Atlanta Growers Cooperative, um, which I, I think that's also more of a marketing cooperative. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, cooperative is, is a big term and there's a couple of different types of them, um, but we'll be a worker cooperative, which means that um, everyone who's working on our farm, um, you know, your hours get tracked and um, the total profits at the end of the year uh, are divvied up with, uh, you know, with their, there are, there are more nuances to it, but are essentially divvied up based on, um, the hours that someone put in rather than, you know, having, being able to own 50% of the stock <laughs> at the start or something like that. So, um, it really incentivizes and rewards, um, the people who are actually growing the food and washing and packing the stuff to, um, do their best and, and do it, work hard and work efficiently because they benefit from that work rather than, um, you know, some person who doesn't live or work on the farm benefiting <laughs> from it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I feel like just, I mean, all of that and <laughs> to add like one other piece, I know for me, like starting a farm is daunting. Like I, I I've done it a couple of times for other people or with it along with other people and it's hard. And um, no, like when we first started talking about this project, it's like, oh, wow, here are other farmers that have the same goals and dreams or aspirations as I do. If we all team up, <laughs> like this load will be like so much easier to lift, you know? It's just um, just the thought of like, knowing that you can count on other people to help you make decisions, to help you build things, to help, you know, it, it just feels like, oh, it feels just like a relief to know that like, you have partners. 
Well, and farmers, farmers are like when we're talking about land and land access, um, we have a lot of policies on state and federal levels that prioritize um, the highest short-term return versus um, long-term <laughs> long-term investments that pay out not only in lower financial dividends, but might have tons of other um, benefits that we don't necessarily calculate. And um, specifically when we're talking about farms, farmers who <laughs> often, you know, find it difficult to save are making money that puts them, you know, marginally above the poverty line are competing with developers who are putting in multi-million dollar developments. Um, and those developments are going to negatively impact the ecosystems, are going to negatively impact the environment, um, are going to lead to greater uh, like wealth stratification, all, have all these long-term negative <laughs> benefits and ultimately are designed to only be there for 30 years. Those houses are not designed to last longer than that. Whereas a farm, you know, if it's there for 30 years, a farm doesn't really start paying dividends until year three or four or five financially, just like any normal business. <laughs> um, and the real dividends don't start happening until, you know, year 10, year 15, when the investments that you've put into the soil mean that you're seeing greater yields with lower inputs. Um, and then on top of that, you're also seeing cleaner water and cleaner air and soil that's holding more carbon, um, you know, and the money, the, the produce, the value that you're develop growing there is being um, shared and invested in that community. Um, I mean, just the, the uh, you know, the, the carry on effects of a farm are pretty great. Um, but we don't take that into account when we think about like how we're using land or how we should value land. And so it's, yeah, it's just really, it's really stacked against farmers and it's really stacked against farmers, particularly who want to be doing the right things by their community and by the environment. Um. Mm. <laughs> Mostly a business plan. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Um, we've been we've been working at Love is Love, which has been a really great opportunity to work with our other farm partners and get a sense of how we'll actually like work together in our different management styles, which we haven't gotten to know just in our like business meetings or in the social settings that we know each other in. Yeah. Um, so that's been huge. We've been looking. We've, we've been spending a lot of time looking for land, which is also, um, you know, surprisingly are maybe not surprisingly difficult. <laughs> um, there's just, uh, for, yeah, for a myriad of reasons. Um, yeah. I'm really proud of our business plan. Like we spent a lot of time and energy. I mean, I've never written a business plan. Um, and so just the research that goes into that is whew, huge. Um, you know, with like, oh, just all of it. <laughs> marketing and yeah planning crop like mock crop plans or whatever just to like project how much money you might make just to prove to like maybe an investor or someone who wants to like loan you some money <laughs> like no really like 
so many yeah <laughs> yeah people also don't believe you can make money growing cucumbers and stuff yeah <laughs> people um, we went we went to a like a someone who was helping us with our business plan and they were they had worked with farms like they had done business plans for farms but they had worked with a lot of conventional farms and commodity producers and they were like how do you expect to get these profits like a 10 percent margin is huge for this and you're doing four five acres like how are you ever going to make money doing this you need to think of something else and we were like listen corn and soy is not the same <laughs> as organic <laughs> vegetables being sold in a local market like yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. and it and it's very different than a cucumber that's being sold to a wholesaler that's going to sell it to grocery stores across the southeast uh you know that, that's a very different price that you get than you get it selling directly to a, a farmer's market customer yeah. Or, um, yeah. or a CSA member. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess when I think about this question, like labor just comes to mind and just wanting eaters and consumers to think to think about or, or learn about just the labor that goes into growing all of that food, even if it is the organic section at Kroger, like it likely came from California. It was likely touched by at least a dozen hands and traveled all the way whereas like buying that fresh produce whether if it's organic or not locally like likely less people have touched that you know it's traveled fewer miles and just again like the labor <laughs> the cost of of just growing that cucumber how long it's going to stay in the ground and again like we talk about land value and prices it's like you know, some crops, you know, are 21 to 30 days and that's great. And other crops are like 60 to 80 days. And that's a lot of time in the ground um, that I don't think people think about, you know? Um, and then the work to like, keep that plant healthy, keep, you know, keep it pest free or weeded or whatever, you know, it's just, there's just a lot of time and a lot of planning and, and yeah, labor that goes into it all. Um, yeah. I think, well, just talking, like taking what Monica said about, you know, there's, there's 12 hands that have probably touched the food that you're buying at the grocery store. Um, like, yeah. I think that's a really, a really great, like, kind of, like, snippet to where you can kind of take that image and look at it in so many different ways to show what an impact buying local has. So, like, um, that, that produce that you buy at the grocery store that's been touched by 12 people, like, I don't know, it's like 17 cents or seven cents of every dollar that you spend on that produce is actually going to the farmer. Um, the fact that it's gone through 12 different hands is a sign of how far it's traveled and how much fossil fuel has been used to get it to you. Um, the people who are actually touching that produce are the ones who are not making money growing it or getting it to you and they're at the greatest risk especially right now during COVID of, of getting sick and getting hurt um, and uh, if you buy from your local farmer it's being you know, that produce is being touched by two people or maybe three people um, and 
50 cents or 60 cents of that dollar is going back to the, the people who, who grew that food. Um, and so you're able to mitigate, you know, your, your, your climate impact. You're able to mitigate the amount of exploitation that's happening or even like ex- decrease all of the exploitation that's happening. Um, and you're also supporting your local economy. You know, that's, that's money that's staying in your neighborhood, in your county, in your region, in your state. Um, that's money that's not being spread across the thousand mile chain of, of packers and shippers and plastic producers and synthetic fertilizer manufacturers and all that stuff. It's easier, easier just to buy from your local farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's been, it's, George Organics has been super supportive and, and I'm very grateful um, not only to just be on the board, but also to, um, to have had them around during my whole farming career, you know, um, yeah, all their program, all the programs like the accelerated program, the farmer fund program, which has been huge this year for farmers, and even like food fight. Um, yeah, I'm just really grateful for all the work that y'all have done for farmers and my my friends, <laughs> my farmer friends, and um, yeah, all the all the farms in, in Georgia um, that have been so impacted um, this year. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would say I had, um, I worked with George Organics in one of their uh, train, farmer training programs a couple of years ago when I was at Camp Crops, and that was really great, uh, a really great opportunity both for me as as a, a farmer at the time, and I hope for um, uh, our our farmer train trainee who came and and interned with us. Um, she was really wonderful and. Um, and uh, I think Tanisio was in charge of the program at the time. He was really great to work with. And um, I mean, more generally, I think Georgia Organics has done a really incredible job of um, building the capacity of of small organic and medium-sized organic farms um, down here in the Southeast. Uh, Coming down from Michigan and seeing kind of the local farm scene there, it, it, it occurred to me um, and I've, you know, uh, as like a nearly 30 year old white dude at the time, it was, it felt like a big epiphany, but probably, uh, I shouldn't be proud of it taking that long, but, um, the South has a lot of historical, um, a legacy of, of racism and exploitation of land and labor, um, and, uh, which essentially prevented any type of small farm economy from starting um, down in the Southeast. And I think um, Georgia Organics has done um, a lot and is continuing to do a lot and is working to expand what they're doing to address those um, historical injustices and also, um, and, and in doing so, um, we'll, we'll, are, are building a more sustainable and more just food system. So. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for talking to us, for having us on. Next up, gardening with farmers. 
where we hear from the real experts, the farmers around the state of Georgia whose expertise and hard-earned knowledge can help your at-home fruit and vegetable gardens thrive. I'm Ronnie Mathis from Mountain Earth Farms in Clarksville, uh, Georgia. Uh, I'd like to offer some tips on growing uh, blueberries. I grow uh, a good many of those. We have uh, uh, over 5,000 uh, plants, and uh, they've been in the ground from uh, most of them uh, eight or nine years. And uh, uh, we've had to replant some, and we've learned f uh, some things from that. And, and one tip I'd like to offer is try to plant your blueberries uh, in the wintertime. I know uh, you think about it in, in April or May whenever you're out there getting your other plants, but that's really pretty late for fruit trees in general. I like to plant between uh, Thanksgiving and uh, January, not much past February, so the root system will uh, go ahead and get developed real good, and then when you have the showers and rain, then that plant's ready to go. Next up, we're going to speak a little more with Ronnie Mathis exploring his lifelong career as a farmer, what it was like to grow up in a fifth-generation Georgia farming family, and what he's learned from farming primarily naturally and organically for decades. All right, well it is a, a brisk morning at the Roswell Farmers and Artisans Market in Roswell, Georgia, and I'm really excited to be sitting here with a legendary figure. <laughs> That's stretching a little bit, probably. <laughs> Ronnie Mathis, farmer and owner of Mountain Earth Farms in Clarksville. Now, Ronnie, where's Clarksville exactly? That's uh, northeast of Roswell, about 75 miles, okay. or 35 miles north of Gainesville, Georgia. Ah, okay. So we're heading up in the mountains when you come to see us. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ronnie, I had the best time talking with you and coming to the market up here. and. You, you've been at this a while. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, uh, it's been a, a very enjoyable trip, though. Yeah. I started farming uh, with my dad and parents so when I was just a, a six-year-old kid. And uh, <laughs> so I've been pretty involved uh, all the years since. Yeah, yeah. And I know you've been, you've been a, a good figure in the Georgia organics world. We're, we're certainly um, well familiar with you and, and what you got going on. How long have you been growing naturally? I started about uh, 25 years ago, uh -huh. and at that time, nobody wanted to believe we could grow things without chemicals. Yeah. And uh, I uh, was like everybody else farming at that time. We didn't have a lot of uh, uh, products that we could uh, grow uh, naturally. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I began to sort of pull away probably about 25 years ago yeah. and try different things. and. Uh, uh, I had an experiment I did with uh, uh, an apple orchard. Uh, uh, it was isolated about five acres from this old gentleman, and he wanted to. Uh, he said, I'm, a, I'm tired and worn out. He said, you can have my orchard to grow if you want to. And wow, so, that's lucky. That's so I, I said, well, I might do that. Can I do what I like? And he said, sure, it's up to you. Do what you want. I, I'm not, I don't have family that's involved said you can do whatever you want to and I said well I want to see if I can grow them organically yeah and uh, great go ahead and so I I did I started and, wow uh, it turned out pretty good good wow well tell us a bit about yourself where you're from and 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 where you're growing right now and what that's like 
I grew up in LJ, that's uh -huh. Gilmer County in yeah. North Georgia, and uh, I uh, 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 Helped my parents, like I say, uh, we always, back then, uh, uh, you helped your parents. It wasn't, we had chores to do, and oh, yeah. uh, we, we were growing. My parents uh, farmed, but uh, we had apples and mm -hmm. uh, various vegetables, so we had a big list of vegetables, turnips and turnip greens and squash and cucumbers, oh, wow. many of the same things I grow today, but we were growing them back then, too, yeah. on some real good land that... Uh, uh, my parents had gotten from uh, my ancestors that mm -hmm. go back about four generations. Wow. Were they farmers as well? Yes. All were farmers. So all were I'm, you a fifth? Would that make you a fifth generation? Yes. Farmer? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I grew up in a big family, and we had lots of things to do. But somehow or another, I always liked farming. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was the one that had the uh, extra fields of squash and vegetables and my other brothers and sisters they just did it because they had to but uh, I wanted to have my own yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I started having little fields of uh, squash and turnips and beans and things like that uh, and the first time was when I was six years old wow and then what was that when you were six that you said I want my own garden yes <laughs> I, I was six just running around like a little pest, I guess. But uh, anyway, I asked my dad, uh, I said, uh, I want to grow a garden myself. And he said, oh, you don't need another garden. And, uh, we got plenty of gardens and fields here. and But I didn't let up. I, I kept coming back at him. No, I want my own. I want one I can just, just I'll be the one working. And so this went on for about a month. And finally he said, okay, I've got to, I've been thinking about this. So. I fixed a little spot over here at the edge of the main field and said I was going to plant something else, but said, uh, uh, if you like, uh, I'm going to help you to plant it, but it's up to you to care for it. you got to yeah. pull the weeds and do everything you got to do. Even I at said, six. <laughs> yeah. I said, I can do it. I know how to pick beans. I hear you all talk about it all the time. And uh, we planted uh, corn and beans, beans in the corn, let them go up the stalks. Oh, yeah, the, uh, three sisters, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So anyway, we started with that. And I had a lot of things like cabbage and turnip greens, and I just had to be a good mix. So yeah. I kind of got to fever early. And <laughs> after that, uh, I helped my parents every single year, and I have since that time, or helping somebody farm. I, yeah. For a period of time, I was at, uh, I went on through high school, went to U University of Georgia, and then uh, I got out and worked in the uh, electrical uh, industry for a while, mm -hmm. and then I wanted to farm full time, so I wound up uh, uh, starting about uh, 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 75, 1975, I guess, uh, with an orchard, uh -huh. and uh, so uh, I just gradually worked into it, and then through the years we've had peaches, apples, uh, and now we, we just grow a little bit, not a, as big an acreage, yeah. but uh, we... Uh, we, we grow uh, over a hundred different fruits and vegetables during the course of the wow, season. Wow, wow. So uh, uh, tomatoes, everybody loves tomatoes. That's, oh, yeah. that's a big thing. And, uh, and uh, like I say, I've been trying to retire, but I, if I ever get old enough, but I'm going to go one more year. That's my goal, to always go one more go year. <laughs> well, we're grateful you do. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Even if against your sanity, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it wasn't fun and I have all these customers, they'd line up. 
at yeah. uh, markets and, and they tell me I have the best for produce here and, and I, I, I don't have enough uh, any reason to disbelieve them so I just <laughs> go along with what they say and they buy it and, and we keep on trucking. Just give the people what they want. Well yeah. I can attest I mean I can't I'm not allowed to play favorites with George Organics but but I sure do love your produce. Well I thank really you so much. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to try some. You had yeah. some last weekend didn't oh, yeah. you? Oh yeah oh yeah and I got some earlier in the year and oh yeah. Okay. Well, talk a little bit about where you're growing and for, for our farmers out there, what what you're dealing with over in Clarksville or up in Clarksville. I well, uh, I've been living in Clarksville since 1970 uh -huh. and uh, so I have uh, about 40 acres of where we farm uh, up in uh, uh, Clarksville and uh, uh, we've downsized a lot. Mm -hmm. with, uh, <laughs> I say that, and then we add another field or two. And <laughs> but we're bouncing around anywhere from 20 to 40 acres. Yeah. And uh, we, we right now we grow blueberries, strawberries, and blackberries, and then and some apples and peaches. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, we're everybody really likes fruit. And uh, uh, I've been growing organically now uh, for the last uh, 10 or 15 years, mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, everything yeah and uh, it hadn't been easy but uh, there's a lot of things we find we're finding that if we uh, keep the plant uh, healthy then we don't have bugs to come in mm. and, and clean up the mess we made yeah and yeah. so uh, I, I've actually tested uh, my produce against some chemically grown produce mm -hmm. and mine held up better than what, what the chemical yeah. people uh, uh, group and uh, so uh, I'm a believer in that if you grow it healthy then uh, uh, you won't have as big a pest problems and there'll be times when you have problems but hey everybody has even the chemicals there's, there's yeah. times when they have lots of problems as well yeah and uh, so but I, I I like to think that I can go out there and uh, uh, work in it don't have to wear a mask don't yeah. have to wear a suit I used to wear all those things and and just got to the point where I hated it. Yeah, I can't picture you plugging a nine to five, Ronnie. <laughs> no, I I get up early and, and uh, I take more naps. Yeah. <laughs> I, after lunch, uh, I, I generally try to have me a nap then, and then but I may go back and work another seven eight hours after that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I'm I mean I'm you you seem like a picture of health so well, thank you i've been blessed we uh, uh i don't take any medication right now i may need to <laughs> i go to the doctor they may talk about my cholesterol being a little i said i i usually tell them well i probably just ate too much cake or yeah. that party i went to a couple of days ago but i said let's check it and then i ate a lot of my blueberries and things and it drops up 40 to 50 points and, uh, yeah. and they can't put me on the cholesterol medicine. <laughs> <laughs> See, food is, let food be thy medicine, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's my theory. Let the food be the medicine. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I agree. And uh, so uh, uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a good journey. We, yeah. we, we've really enjoyed it. And, uh, and we're glad that we're able to grow things that other people like as well. Because uh, Mama doesn't like to can after and, and, uh, and, and freeze like she used to did so yeah. <laughs> we, we we don't do as much as that as we used to but uh, yeah. we have a lot for other people yeah yeah well for some of our younger farmers out there what are some what are some things you've learned over your career that that you wish other farmers knew early well there's uh, you everybody's got to start somewhere and uh, 
you know, if you if you're young and uh, didn't have the <laughs> privilege or, or whatever you call it, to say that I did growing up with uh, parents that uh, you talked about things at the dinner table and this type of thing, and so I knew a lot of those things how to do it when I got ready to start it wasn't as big a curve but yeah. I've got a neighbor that's uh, he's close to 30 years old and he's trying to farm and he came over to visit me uh, well matter of fact he came last week and he wanted me to uh, help him out he was just having lots and lots of problems and uh, he planted uh, uh, on the hillside and, and oh. he planted uh, downhill and he said a big rain came washed it all away said I should have known better but my parents didn't farm they didn't tell me and I just planted and but uh, uh, I guess the best thing they could do is to, to work with some farmer yeah uh, and, and uh, go to uh, 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 learn from them because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I just don't even think about uh, because it's just I've been doing it so long and all but they don't have that experience and they don't have somebody at home to tell them and, uh, and, and, and if they try to do it on their own chances are they're gonna fail yeah it's just about unless they get somebody to uh, uh, mentor to them and mm -hmm. to, that'll share and whatever uh, it's, it, it, it's a lot of difference just reading a book or a pamphlet and going out and doing it yeah and because uh, the the variables are always different in every situation and uh, so they just have a lot of problems yeah. uh, there that it's not covered so uh, uh, young farmers uh, need to be uh, at least visited and with somebody that'll share and talk and, and help yeah. them out because most people want to help but uh, if you go into it with the idea that you know it all there's a good chance you're gonna have a lot of difficulties you yeah. may make it but chances are you won't yeah and, uh, yeah you probably lose a lot lose a lot of things yeah yeah they'll lose they'll lose a lot of money because yeah. uh, all the inputs now we used to buy seed uh, for example corn seed for fifty dollars a bushel mm -hmm. and now uh, you can't uh, it, it, they buy it they sell it by the grain mm -hmm. and uh, so it, it may run four five hundred dollars a bushel wow yeah if you you know are buying that much seed corn but uh, uh, things like all the seed are high they got these beautiful seed books and things and you go through that and, and if you try to do it too many things that's what my friend that came to visit he, he he's trying to uh, he goes through the catalog oh I'd like to have that I'd like to have that and then he decided after about two or three years I've got way too many things I need to zero in on some things that I can do and and, and try to do good and, and not try to uh, do it all. Yeah, yeah. So well, well. Would you consider yourself an open door for some of some young farmers if they oh, want to yeah. come? Well, they're all time calling in this good, and, good. and uh, so forth. So yeah, yeah I, I always try to help them. I'd be happy to. I, I, uh, uh, I think that's the way that uh, a lot of things uh, advance, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, my dad grew apples. He, he grew them in the day when uh, they, all they had was chemicals, you know. But he grew them quite different uh, than they do now and he was doing uh, his selective uh, uh, picking by size and color yeah. back in the 40s and 50s yeah. and, and uh, when I was growing uh, a lot of apples uh, we started that uh, 
go out and just try to pick Versailles some color and wait another week or two and do some more. Well, my dad was doing that way back in the 30s and 40s. Wow, yeah. And uh, so he, he would get a lot more production because uh, apples will size uh, uh, a lot in that last uh, three weeks or four weeks or so. Yeah. And a lot of other fruits the same way too. So Yeah, uh, yeah. It's good to... You know, get a good background, get a good education, and uh, all like that. But then, you, you need to work with somebody yeah. that uh, has been there, and uh, it'll save you a lot of time and effort and money in the long run. No kidding. What are some things that you distinctly took from growing up with generations of, you know, growing up with parents that talked about this stuff over the dinner table? And well, just for example, we. Uh, we always uh, talked about when's the best time to plant beans, for example, mm. uh, the, the astrological signs, meteorological signs, all those things. Uh, those are things that we paid attention to way yeah. back then. And a lot of people now, of course, they don't think there's anything to that. But that's Do you easy. still do that? We still do. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've had guys that doesn't want on my farm that they just plant when we've got the ground ready. And uh, I've shown them waiting a week or so okay here's yours and here's mine now what do you think makes a difference well you probably got more right no we got about the same here it's just a week apart and i tell them about the sign well okay yeah <laughs> so you sometimes you have to show people yeah. you know but uh, uh just uh, uh really uh going out there and, and uh, uh you know talking with people you'll get a good feel and working with people of how uh, how you what kind of farm you need yeah. uh, if it's too steep or, or if it's rocky uh, those are things that you probably don't need in a farm yeah but uh, you have to uh, try to select ground that's, uh, that uh, you can cultivate and it won't wash away and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we use a lot of mulches that type of thing too and that that helps out especially if you have uh, uh, varying elevations on your farm that's mm. subject to uh, er erosion. So yeah. we uh, use a lot of mulch and, and uh, uh, it also suppresses weeds, things of that nature, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's all in some book, but it's, it's good to, I say, study those things and all, but then go get with a farmer yeah. that's, that's been there and done that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Help him work free. Whatever you have to do to get in to yeah. his information, and uh, uh, so uh, I, I think those are things that uh, would help a young farmer to come along and be successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about knowing your land? Because I know you've been on your current current um, property for a while, and and certainly when you grew up, uh -huh. you all really knew that land. What what does that play into it? Well, uh, for example. Uh, if you have uh, certain kinds of soil, certain crops don't want to grow. Uh, one of the first uh, crops that I grew after I got out of college and I had all this energy saved <laughs> up that I wanted to use. <laughs> and so I planted a bunch of potatoes at my uh, home place. And this was the best soil in the world. It was well-drained, black, loamy type of soil. And I had a, uh, I, I went out and planted those and uh, had uh, 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 real good success. For every bushel of potatoes that I planted, Irish potatoes, uh, I've made over 30. Wow, and I thought, yeah. boy, I've really got this down. <laughs> well, uh, it turned out that uh, it was too far away for me to uh, uh, go 
and farm. So I decided to buy land near where I lived and, yeah. and, uh, and all. But I haven't found a good spot of land like that yeah. since. <laughs> so that type of land is very, very important. And I've, I got my best yield the first time, and I've tried different soils, but it don't, there's just a, a little bit of that kind of soil around. Yeah. So if there's certain crops, uh, for example, when you're uh, planting fruit trees, you don't want to put them down in low areas. Uh, generally speaking, you want to put them up on a ridge so you get uh, have well have good drainage yeah. and you have uh, less frost damage mm. because cold air will drain just like water. And uh, so uh, uh, those are things. Uh, plant your uh, fruit trees up on the highlands and your, your other stuff down. Now there is some products that uh, you can use that will. Uh, help out and keeping the frost from uh, uh, freezing crops yeah. but uh, it's better to work with nature and uh, if, you, if you have land that's high plant your fruit trees there and then the, the more level land it's not going to wash as bad and you're subject to tilling too and mm. and, and so forth so uh, uh, you know think about what you're going to plant when you mm -hmm. before you buy your land mm -hmm. if you can yeah yeah, yeah. Well, what markets are you are you at? And I guess for this I'm year we're kind of closing uh, out. We we've downsized and uh, we're just doing a couple here in the Atlanta area, and yeah. uh, uh, we have markets up there. People coming by all, all the time buying our products and things there. Yeah. I've got several customers. They uh, I used to have a roadside market, but uh, we worked eight days a week there. It seemed like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they came a lot at night and whatever. So we decided that uh, we just uh, wouldn't have that. So mm -hmm. we, uh, we sell at home, but we, we try to uh, have a more decent time frame for them to come. And, yeah. and, uh, and so uh, that's basically what we do, sell up there locally. And then yeah. uh, and we sell some online, too. Yeah. And then we, uh, we come a couple here in the Atlanta area, too. And what's your website? We'll put it in the in the show uh, notes. Yeah, we're we're on there as Mountain Earth Farms. Okay. And we're going to do an update. And since we've had this COVID nineteen problem, yeah. we think that's uh, we're getting a lot of calls. I had a lot of people uh, last spring that uh, when this market didn't open, yeah, they would call up and they said we'll drive up there. Wow. And they did. We had a number drive, and they said, "How do you do drive, this? Drive what? An hour and a half? And yes. yeah, yeah, that's just about awesome. an hour and a half." drive yeah and so uh yeah they they did they they came up to see me and bought strawberries and until this market opened wow and, uh, yeah you got to get those straw i drive an hour and a half for strawberries <laughs> <laughs> three hours total I drive. well we we're just glad they th thought of us because uh, we needed to sell them and yeah uh, and uh, but we i've been coming to this market over 10 years yeah. and so yeah. uh we've got a lot of folks here that's been very loyal to us and so right. i try to uh grow as much as I can as to what they like. Well, I'm glad you, you brought this because it, it kind of tees up to our the end of year campaign for Georgia Organics, which is stay local. And, and we're really trying to promote that folks who have started, you know, have started very intentionally buying from farmers, during, especially during COVID-19. Right. And, and when everyone's kind of fearful of how they get their food and contact and these things. Right. What have you observed in that you know through the pandemic people people prioritizing buying from you i i would hope from our perspective realizing the value 
of buying safe, really healthy food that's that's grown, you know, within a 75-mile radius. Well, I think it just uh, re-emphasizes what we've been saying all along. Right. It wasn't. <laughs> such a problem when you had lots of choices but then when you get down when uh, there's not any food and mm -hmm. it's shipped in from where you know no, California no, or yeah, Mexico or, and, or, and yeah. not saying that that's bad but it's just not as fresh yeah. and I've had a lot of customers that tell me that they go to the grocery store and they see things that looks like mine but it don't taste like mine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I can tell you why <laughs> we, we grow it differently yeah. and it's fresher no doubt out too although yeah. it does uh, with refrigeration like it is now uh, people can uh, uh, you know you can save it for a while if you yeah. if you're set up to, but it's still it's most of the things that I sell we sell it within uh, uh, two three four days there might be things like uh, potatoes that we'd store a little bit longer or whatever but uh, or like fresh beans and corn mm -hmm. and, and uh, tomatoes uh, you know just in a few days after they're picked they're sold and uh, that's when they you make those good old nice tomato sandwiches oh, or yeah. salads or whatever you know using best. all this you know <laughs> so I think this kind of uh, this COVID-19 has just made us realize our food source is very important. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I read a lot of things and uh, they talk about vaccine and maybe they're coming with a vaccine. But I, I was reading something that I, uh, the other day from a friend of mine lives up in Ohio and he said they had done uh, uh, work in some countries where the uh, uh, they made a big uh, push to get selenium yeah. in the the, uh, uh, the farmers to uh, use that on their crops, and they had the lowest case is uh, the lowest number of uh, viruses and, and uh, really? flus of any country in the world. Wow! And they've made a concerted effort over the last 10, 12 years or so to get their farmers to uh, put selenium in their soils and grow these grow this food with a selenium in them and they don't have these viruses so i don't know what it would take to get people to doing that but uh uh i think we need to investigate things like that yeah because yeah, yeah, if we can grow the food and if it's selenium or whatever else yeah but i think a lot of times uh things i've learned in recent years is uh, uh these minor so-called minor elements mm -hmm. uh th they're pretty major mm -hmm. a lot of times one or two elements will could make the dip mean the difference in a crop being eaten up by bugs and it not being uh yeah. even touched by bugs so uh the uh minor elements and, and a lot of research needs to be done on that sort of thing to, Absolutely. just uh, uh so we can grow even healthier crops, and that's what I've been doing, but I, yeah. I still, there's a lot of things that uh, you still have problems with from time sure, to time, you know, sure. but uh, uh, I don't have near the, the pest pressure that I used to have when yeah. I went out there and blasted everything. Yeah. Because yeah. you kill the beneficials when you're doing that. Right, and right. so uh, I try to protect the bees and, and the beneficial insects and uh, that, uh, we, well, I just prefer it that way. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and I know your your customers are grateful for it. I'm not going to hold you too much longer. You've got a small line forming here for high demand. <laughs> well, I'm glad they keep coming. That's what makes me keep coming too. Well, there you go. We got to keep you. We got to keep you farming, whether you want to retire or not. Right. <laughs> well, I just say I'm going to do it one more year, and then uh, <laughs> we don't know what year that is. So. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep going and keep growing. Uh, Mr. Mathis, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank first, you very much. first of many conversations. I'm going to come see you. I'm going to order from you and, and make that drive. That would be great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you. That's our show for today. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Atlanta Foodcast and join us back here again in two weeks. In the meantime, be sure to check out George Organic's work and our Stay Local campaign at georgeorganics.org slash stay local.